name is Dr. Reese Granger. Welcome to Head First, the Concussion Podcast. Good morning and welcome back to Head First, the Concussion Podcast. Today, I've got an extremely important guest, Professor Alan Pierce. In the research space with concussion and also heavily involved in promoting concussion and education, Professor Pierce is working at Trobe University, I believe. Yep, yep. that's right. And, and, the, and the, the brain, man, that's right. He's also well-accomplished academic, a couple of published books with many chapters in books, closing in, I believe, nearly on 300 publications and journal articles with over 5,000 citations of his academic peers. And I'd just like to say, welcome, Professor Pierce. Thanks for having me on. I sound like a salty old, you know, old salty sea dog. <laughs> no, far from it. We're humbled and privileged. So what I'll get to do is I'll just get you to introduce yourself, if that's all right, yeah. uh, what you do, how you become involved in concussion and yeah. all the work that you're currently doing in the concussion space. Yeah, sure. So I um, look, I, the shortened version is uh, that uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm a neurophysiologist. Um, people don't know what that is, so I just go with neuroscientist. Um, but I've been involved in trying to understand, I guess, how the brain functions from a physiological perspective now for just on nearly 30 years. Um, I was born and grew up in Perth, uh, did my undergrad at Eton Cowan uh, in science, uh, did an honours year, which actually then led me to do a PhD in the Department of Medicine at uh, University of WA. Um, and when I was doing my PhD, I was using a technique that was fairly new at the time, um, and we can talk a bit more about it as we go along, but uh, it's, it's transcranial magnetic stimulation where I can stimulate the brain, look at the response, and, and, and gives me a, an understanding of the integrity of the brain and central nervous system at the time of stimulation. While I was there, um, a postdoc fellow, uh, of, in, you know, amazing um, scientist, um, Dr. Michelle Burns. Um, she was doing her postdoc fellowship at the time um, and uh, she was looking at how the brain recovered after stroke. And, uh, you know, that was sort of the early days of what we now know as neuroplasticity. And so that got me excited about brain injury. Um, Michelle's now gone on and she's got two PhDs. She's a neuropsych as well as a neurophysiologist. So she's she's been really integral in, in what, you know, I've, I've been thinking about in terms of brain injuries. So after I finished my PhD, I, I left to come to the, the wider shores of, of Melbourne. It took a few years to get the foot in the door in terms of brain injury. Um, you know, the academic research space is very competitive. It's not as probably collegial as what we like to think it is. We all don't sit around and, you know, sing Kumbaya all day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the fact that you know, we're, all, we're all competing for grants and publications and, you know, being the first to find this or, or do that. So anyway, it took a, took a while, but eventually, um, oh, it was probably about literally eight or nine years later, I got an opportunity at the Epworth Hospital to actually start off looking at concussion, not concussion, but brain injury, recovery from brain injury. Incidentally, now Epworth have their own concussion clinic. Um, oh, wow. But uh, when I was there, it wasn't really going too well, but then I... I got a job at uh, a university, Deakin University, where I was sort of basically setting up a neurophysiology laboratory. And one of the PhD students there actually played um, VFL football. Um, and um, you know, he kind of said, oh, you know, have you thought about concussion? I said, yeah, absolutely. I you know, can't get my foot in the door. Um, and around, around this time, so this would have been about 2011-ish, um, you know, we were starting to hear the first rumours or murmuring, I should say, of, of this strange disease called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE. Um, that wasn't really on my agenda right at that point, but I got introduced to a player manager, a former player manager who was very big um, at the time in the 1990s. He was one of the first player managers, but consequently, a lot of the players that he's managed have now retired and, and have aged and were experiencing cognitive problems, mental health issues, some had movement disorders, and he was quite concerned. And 
so we had a we had a meeting um and uh you know that was quite a, a fortuitous meeting for me at least because he got very excited with what I do how I do it because the technique I I use can you know show changes in in the uh, brain um, that a spatial technique like MRI may not and um, he you know he he said yeah absolutely let's get something going and he started feeding me player after player after player um, and you know from about 2012 that's all I've done ever since every single day of my life now is a, is based around concussion and CTE you know wow what an introduction literally <laughs> chucked in the deep end and yeah. told to swim pretty much pretty much and and I guess the other part of that too was thrown in the deep end for media um, because I yeah. had no indication of what this issue was going to become um, and and of course the player manager is you know is, is well connected so the first thing he did is he ran to channel seven and told them what I was doing and and you know that that kind of just uh, hit me like a truck but uh, yeah. 15 years later <laughs> um it's it's yeah. yeah you just go with the flow <laughs> i i followed you for quite some time and i've used some of your research papers on previous articles and put links in the show notes and everything like that and one thing i have noticed is there's a lot of what you were saying in 2011 12 and 13 that's now just been implemented <laughs> that you were let's just say getting some not so friendly messages about <laughs> and which is now 10 years later come to fruition you're like hey guys come on we were yeah. talking about this 10 years ago and yeah. i think before we get into the crux of the episode and what is a concussion and everything like that yeah i love the way that yourself and some of the other prominent figures in the research space and the concussion space actually delivering the message it's not mm-hmm. a you can't do X, Y, Z, we don't care what you do, yeah. just don't do it. It's yeah. There's always a reasonable alternative. It's like, okay, uh, we're going with the Professor John, uh, the professor, the State Coroner John Kane. Yeah. It's like tackling in youth sports. <clears throat> yeah. You've always laid out the evidence and say, hey, there's a great benefit to youth sports. Mm. However, if we keep tackling, yeah. the risk of tackling is going to outweigh the benefits. And I kind of always feel and believe, well, when I played AFL in under-12s, we weren't allowed to kick off the ground and were only allowed mm. to take one bounce. And yep. that was all for pure skill development. So if they can implement rules like that now under-12s and under-14 games, there should be no reason why they can limit the tackling. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's hard to not uh, get frustrated, but I do. And <laughs> um, But, yeah, it's it's... You know, it's something that um, that we've always encouraged, you know, everyone to be involved in physical activity and obviously as an extension of that, you know, to play sports. Um, and, you know, we've never told anyone that they, you know, shouldn't play sports. And, and in fact, you know, when people say, oh, you know, we want to get your comments on banning sport for kids, we're like, we're not banning sport for yeah. kids. What we want is just to modify these sports to reduce chronic injuries. And one of the things that uh, you know we, we look at is, well, we don't give kids full-size tennis rackets or get them to hit on a full-size tennis court as a, as a six- or seven-year-old. Yeah. Why is that? Well, we've seen that, that you can get chronic shoulder injuries. We limit the number of pitches in baseball. We limit the number of uh, bowls, bowling in cricket for Osgood Slaters, for example. But for some reason, there's this view that if we don't get kids doing the full version of um, rugby or football or whatever, that they're not going to develop as, as athletes. And you're like, well, no, we're seeing the evidence that, you, you know, we've got plenty of evidence that kids who maybe, you know, start at 13 or 14 can still develop the skills quite, um, you know, competently, um, the, you know, there's no reason we see it in in Australian football. You know, we get the Irish players coming out who seem to do quite well. Um, you know, there are a number of other players who didn't start to allow a 16 and and won Brandlow medals. So, you know, there, there's no strong evidence for either way. Alternatively, those who start specialising at, at you know six, seven, eight years of age usually quit sport by about 16 to 18 years of age and don't go on because they're over it. <laughs> It's 
a tough one. I think it all stems down to culture as well. And mm. before I jump too far ahead, I think like with culture, it comes with coaches and parents yep. first and foremost because yep. nine times out of ten, the kid just wants to be out there with their mates playing. Yeah. And That's you right. see the AFL ruling out sling tackles and pin yeah. in the arm, whereas you go back 15 years ago, you were taught to pin one arm that was not the ball carrying arm. So then when you slammed him into the ground, it was holding the ball, dropping the ball. And That's right. If we keep teaching it 12 under eights or whatever age group it is, you're yep. not going to phase that out because it keeps getting put into them and you're only delaying the, right. the natural of phasing it out. So yeah, it, that's right. Double-edged and, sword, I guess. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> yourself as a health professional, um, you know, I, I get lots of allied health professionals calling me up or, or contacting me frustrated because, you know, the, the aspect around culture, you know, I've, I've had not on one, you know, more than one occasion, you know, allied health professional saying, how do I explain to parents that like their kid can't go back and play footy after they've already had eight concussions this year and you, you know, and I, and the kid's like 11. So this is, this is what we're, we're trying mm. to reduce. Yeah. Um, is this exposure to not just concussions but repetitive head trauma because we are seeing um, emerging evidence worldwide that, you know, the longer that you, know, you play these sports, the risk um, of uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy is, is increased and it can be significantly reduced if you start the kids at, you know, 14 is, is where we're kind of advocating for as, as a bit of a, a um, I guess, a, a, a negotiation point um, yep. i know some are saying you know nothing less than 18 but even 18 you know, the brain doesn't fully develop to 25 so you know should we not do it to 25 i mean you know it, it's <laughs> where that you know we've drawn the line at 14 because we have seen that um particularly from you know boston's um research that if you take out the first to 10 8 to 10 years you know, you can significantly reduce the exposure risk, um, and that's in American football. But mm. you know, I'm sure that it would be the same, you know, in rugby codes and Australian football, and, and even soccer as well. We we can't we can't wait for the research to prove <laughs> something in that. You kind of got to extrapolate, and yeah, that's right. That's I've all, I've always said if you go back to general muscle and fitness, you know, a lot of the the research articles are with a pretty pink TheraBand, as I like to say, and that's not going to work for an AFL player or an NFL player. You've got to extrapolate the data before you can see that. So with with saying that, we've mentioned concussion and CTE. Yep. I'll just get you to give a brief rundown for me. What is a concussion? And then mm -hmm. lead into CTE. What is it? How did yep. we develop it? Cool. Okay, so concussion obviously is a, it's a, a mild traumatic brain injury. It's, you know... Part of the spectrum of traumatic brain injury, um, it sits within the mild TBI part of that spectrum. Some like to argue that it's a subset of MTBI. Look, the bottom line is that concussion is a brain injury. Um, it disturbs uh, neurological function after an impact to the head, or, or you know where forces do it close, and it transmits the force to the to the brain. And you see this this disruption um, of neurological function. And you have um, to be hit in the head to receive a concussion. Can no, be body. That's right. it's it's a myth. So um, have a listen to six PR yeah. the night before where I did the <laughs> myths. Oh, yeah, I, I had a good listen to that, yeah. and I was <laughs> yeah the one the one thing I love and I thought it was absolute brilliant when you posted on your Twitter, I believe, when Travis <laughs> Head scored a, a a ton. You're like, now that's a head knock. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I thought that was great. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. It was so. Yeah, I, do, good. I do have a bit of fun on on Twitter or X now. Yeah. It's just just you know, yeah, it's it's something that I used to get a bit scared of, but now it's just like you know what, I'm just going to put it out there. So. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that essentially is what a what a concussion is, and and you mentioned head knocks. So you know this is something that I I really do get quite uh, you know fired up about the fact that we call it head knocks, and mm. you know it's not a head knock, um, it's a brain injury because head knock tends to downplay the seriousness of um, what concussion is. You know, I can I can knock my head right now, um, and that that's a head knock. Um, and we're not talking about where you accidentally you know, might bump your head at a low, you know, even though that might hurt. But, you know, when, when you're seeing what, what's happening on, on the sporting fields, what happens um, in the military, uh, you know, what happens, what we see with um, 
you know, family violence. This is not a head knock. These, yeah. these can have some serious ramifications. And uh, even I think several days ago, you know, Clayton Oliver. Clayton Oliver, that's right. Yes, um, you know, he was, um, you know, he he didn't realise that uh, one head knock could lead to yeah. you know potential uh, you know, convulsion or seizure. Um, and so you know that that's where it gets really frustrating. And, and I talk about it ad nauseum, but you know, to the point where my friends have made a t-shirt for me. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, that's gone. Yeah, yeah. So for, the, and, for and those that are for those that are listening, and it's on yeah. audio, it's got it's not a head knock; it's a brain injury T-shirt on. Yeah, I oh, need but, to pattern that and get it out. <laughs> I'd wear that. that is so yeah, that's good. right. Yeah, be my guest. You're more than welcome yeah. to. That's fine. <laughs> Quite a serious injury. It stems again back to the original culture, you know, with with the players. If yes. They're, they're calling it a head knock, and yeah, got... well, they call it a head knock because the media have have used that in a in a colloquial yeah. term. And I've had arguments with journalists who's I said, please don't use the term head knock, uh, and they go, oh, well, what else am I going to say? Well, call Dramatic it for what it is: one concussion, brain injury, um, you know, neurotrauma, brain trauma, um, you know, and then they come back and oh, well, we don't want to scare anyone. Hang on a moment. <laughs> this is why we are where we are, you know, and this yeah. this is the problem. And even even you know about you know we can we can touch on CT. You know, I'll explain it a bit more in a moment. But you know, we talk about head knocks leading to CTE. You know, I mean, this is this is not you know CTE is a brain disease. So you know, we can't again similarly diminish the significance of what's happening out there with subconcussive impacts on the field. You know, obviously they don't show signs and symptoms of concussion, but you know some of the the data that we're seeing and and have measured where a player has been significantly impacted multiple times over a season, hundreds of times. You know, in the range of of you know thirty to one hundred and fifty g's um, force. You know, one g's Earth's gravity. So, you know, you're looking at fairly significant forces, hundreds of times a year thousands, tens of thousands over a career. So, you know, CTE um, is something that, that most people are still not quite familiar with. Um, it's it's a brain disease. It's a, it's a neurodegenerative disease. And uh, it, it sort of overlaps with Alzheimer's, but there are some real significant differences. You know, for a start, uh, Alzheimer's starts in a different part of the brain. It starts in a very deep part of the brain, and this is where you start to see the effects on memory, for example, whereas CTE starts in the outer cortex or, or neocortex of the brain. And this is why CTE can manifest in so many more different ways than, I guess, more traditional dementias. And when you frame CTE as a dementia, people then start to realise how serious it is because mm. it has been mis- misconception, misinformation, that it's a mental health condition, it's a psychological issue, eat the right things and, and uh, do some meditation, you know, you're fine. And it's yeah. like, no. <laughs> yeah, um, the tau proteins and yeah. the filaments that have that's deconstructed right. there ain't going to come back to normal no, structure. I described right. it on an episode we did, and correct me if I was wrong on this, mm -hmm. I pretty much said it was like the foundation of the house has fallen apart with the protein and everything's yeah. just caved in on itself and now you can't move it. So That's right. And Absolutely. It, just, it builds up and aggregates. And the thing I don't like about the way CTE is portrayed is that it's portrayed as like, I've got a concussion now, I'm getting CTE. It's like they've yeah. married these two terms together and melded them and you get lost. Yes. So as soon as someone gets a concussion, yes. they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to get CTE. Yeah. Or if someone's developed CTE, it's, oh, they must have played sport, whereas, as you said, there's plenty of military people, especially yeah. I was reading, it was like when they're in the tanks, it's 300 Gs when they fire yeah. a rocket out of it, you know, yeah. and they go through that. I'm like, well, yeah. it just kind of neglects, yeah. unfortunately, the sad side as well. I'm not saying it's not sad, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It neglects mm. the other population. Yeah. Oh, which absolutely. I find a little I mean, bit just, hard. Just on that note with military, I've had, I've had several ex-military people come in for, te you know, testing in the lab. Uh, and they were, you know, in the tanks and they were tank drivers. They weren't even soldiers. So, they, yeah. you know, not, you know, people can't just sort of say, well, you know, you're on the front line. But these people were in the tanks. So, and they were told by, you know, their medics that 
when the gun fires, the cannon fires, expect a blow, blood nose, and it'll be all right. Nothing, don't worry about it. And so if the if the the shockwave force mm-hmm. is doing enough to, you know, rupture capillaries in the nose, what's it doing in the brain? Yeah, exactly. Or what capillaries is a rupturing in the brain that you just can't see? Absolutely. Because, as you've right. stated many a times, concussions. A silent injury, it's yep. based on a process of exclusion, which makes it really hard. As yep. I like to say, rule out the big bad nasties first and then work backwards. Everyone's got a hematoma till they haven't, and then you kind yes. of work back and yeah. bring in clinical history and everything like that. At the the concussion and the blows that we were talking about from the tanks, what's the G-force required around about to cause a concussion? Is there a threshold? Is there no threshold? Yeah. Well, we, we don't really know. Um, yeah. And that's the that's the issue is that um, we don't really know why someone may get show signs of concussion after a a fairly you know innocuous impact, whereas others can run apparently run through walls and not have any. You know there are a whole number of variables that we're still trying to understand. Is there a genetic basis to someone having um, I guess a lower threshold for a concussion to be you know um, to come on um, is obviously the history of an athlete, and this yeah. is where I, I disagree with a number of uh, colleagues who have said that prior history doesn't necessarily impact on future risk. And I'm saying, but we talk about you know what a concussion can increase the risk of uh, you know another concussion by about threefold. It's it's musculoskeletal injuries by two and a half fold. How can you tell me that it then has no impact on on future concussion risk, and this is you know the concern I have about Nathan Murphy. You know we've seen this yeah, in Colin McCartney. Yeah, we've seen I was going to bring this up. Yeah, you know dozens and dozens of other um, players who've had to retire early. Um, you know we've still got to understand age aspects. You know uh, we have you know have done yeah children, adolescents versus adults, um, uh, young adults or older adults. Um, you know obviously the the issue around sex. Um, is still sort of being debated right now. Um, yeah, so there's a whole right, but you know, range of factors here that that uh, we just don't know. And so I guess that's where I have sort of taken a more conservative approach. That um, you know, and I tell players, I tell coaches, I tell parents, you know, an extra couple of weeks out could probably extend your you know, your or your kid's career or your player's career by five or six years mm-hmm. you know it, it and and quality of life after yeah yeah there's a lot to unpack there i'll, I'll start yes. with the nathan murphy and patty mccartan one the thing that baffles me and i don't think people are thinking too far ahead and some may knock your sporting codes governing bodies that run big sports as we know and some may may defend them and now we're going into the space you can argue either side is the rules implementing like the nrl and the afl at the moment reactionary so there's no lawsuit or is it because there's care for the players you take that whatever side you can argue for and against for each but when it comes to nathan murphy the biggest thing that worries me here is i think you go back a couple of years ago is there was originally i didn't mention his name on the podcast but now it's I've found it in a news article and it's available on the interwebs. Yep. Um, Ty Zantuck, when he yes. took Richmond and Essendon to, to court about a brain, you know, traumatic oh. brain injury and he's back. And yep. the AFL and the clubs had nothing to answer for, but he went after the, the doctors yep. and one's current, one's retired and he, he won his case. This opens a can of worms with the Nathan Murphy case because unless you say 10, 15, 20 years down the time, track and starts having these neurological signs and symptoms does he come back and say well the doctors cleared me to play yeah and the same with paddy mccartan and the afl clubs are like hey mate we got nothing to do with it. it's the doctors and then it makes so it, it gets a bit messy and a bit ugly mm. and then you've also got the presidents coming out saying we got the best doctors and i'm not i'm not mm. taking a knock at them or saying they don't you know mm. we we can only go on what's reported but it does get a little bit murky and then you kind of look at touching on the point with your mouth guards. It was it's Hit QX that have signed on with the mouth guards. Hit IQ. 
you hit IQ, that's the one. Sorry, right. I, I found it in 2019 when I was reading it based on um on the stock reports, and that's how yes. I found them. Yes. Um, they're putting the accelerometers in the mouth guards, which Union's been doing for a long time now. And it was one of Professor Cow, Professor keeps saying Professor, one of John Kane's yep. recommendations. Yeah. And then coincidentally, you have a research study that grows legs and walks out the room. Yeah. In, in the, you know, so I'm just like, wow. Well, <laughs> I, I, I've gone yeah. on tyrant and a rant, so I do no, apologize well, for that one. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, the recommendations from, you know, John Kane, um, you know, we're, 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 you know, we, we, were, we were quite happy, obviously, you know, we, we, we know the Tuck family really well um, through the brain bank and, you know, they, they were pleased to see that there were, there were some good recommendations and, and, um, it, it certainly put the the sports on notice that you know we can't continue as as we are, and you know modifying training practices for a start is is something that might need, needs to be you know looked at, um, and and it's not just for concussion but for general athlete health and well being anyway. Um, mm. You know, it, it, obviously we're we're talking we're we're doing our podcast in. In a certain time period, so at the moment there's a, you know, uh, a, a coronial inquest into uh, Keith Tipness in the NRL who died on the field at first day of training, first day back at training in, in, oh. in the NRL. You know, yep, and yep. and some of the the reports that are coming out now in terms of, you know, how the athletes are being uh, literally flogged, um, mm. you know, is is very concerning, um, and it, it can't be just under the name of professional athletes. You're a professional athlete. Or you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. You know, there's still, there's still people at you know at heart. Obviously, still human beings that you've got to you've got to try and um, you know make sure that we you know look after. You can't just they're not robots. And we've done research, uh, you know, looking at uh, uh, qualitative research. You know, and, and retired athletes have said that they felt like they're nothing more than a commodity. Um, and they've been told we don't care about you. You know, obviously in the old, older days, but you know, uh, we we don't really care if you've got a headache after a concussion. We pay you to play, and so that's the sort of attitudes that have been sort of needing to be changed. And that was highlighted in the in the coronial report from uh, John Kane is that you know you've got to start looking after your athletes more humanely and ethically. And so yeah, the the mouth guards too, you know, have a use. I think we still. Need to understand that they are essentially, I think, you know, a good research tool. Hmm. How they're going to be used in a clinical sense, I, I'm not so sure. Um, there's a lot of static data in there. Yeah, that's right, exactly. And you know, there's no, there seems to be no evidence that a certain number of impacts can increase the risk of a concussion. There seems to be no correlation between the the, the impact and the rotational uh, forces recorded and how the how the player recovered. For example, um, but you know, in terms of us understanding the characteristics of the sport, what what the players are experiencing over us over a season, over multiple seasons, is kind of what allowed Boston to show the the risk profile for CTE because they were able to access um, sensor data in helmets over the last decade or so, and, yeah. and you know, marry that up with the pathology data. So that's kind of where it is really useful, and it's. It's an interesting one when it comes to training because Rugby Union have been doing this for years. They've limited to the 15 minutes contact training. So I don't see how AFL or NRL can't implement that. Mm. And then further in that, when you had the coronial inquest come out at the beginning of December, since then you had uh, his last name escaped me, but you had the Josh from Collingwood. Yes. You had McGovern from Carlton. Yes. You've just had Vlostam from Richmond. You had Dustin Martin, which got mm-hmm. put under the suspected chin cut, and I'm yes. just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> then you've had Tim English with yeah. migraines, which they've associated not to be with a concussion, but how can you tell? Yeah. So off the top of my head, there's five people already yes. since the coronial inquest, and everyone's like, well, define contact. And I'm oh, like, yeah. Just like, well, yes, and contact when you get hit, mate, seriously. That's right. It's it's the... Uh, you know, they want to start playing the intellectual arguments around, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. it becomes, yeah, very murky. And that's the whole strategy around, um, you know, delaying and, and running interferences, I'll call it, on, on trying to get some progress here. 
you know, given the, the fact of uh, John Kane's report, you know, the number of concussions that have been reported in the media is probably just what happens every every preseason, but it never got reported until now because it hasn't been highlighted. So despite the fact that, you know, yeah, people have gone, oh, well, they don't do that much in, in preseason. Well, yeah, they do a lot more than what we think. They do run you into the ground, um, personal experience, mm. and the, the culture is so many running tests, so many yep. laps, hit drills. We've got to harden your body for the season. Yes, it can't do it now. Yep. And it's, it's so bad. And then you look at soccer. Yep. I've coached and played soccer and at semi-professional level as well. And the biggest one that come in was the sub-concussive impacts in the header end of the yeah. soccer ball. For the sake of transparency, when that first come in, I think I was coaching, COVID just hit. So it was 2019, 2020. And I had two 18 sides that I was coaching. They're like, mm-hmm. no header in the ball. I had some reservations about that. I'm like, how are you supposed to teach them proper neck technique, proper strengthening, everything like that. However, the more I've learned, the more I've come around. Mm. The the good thing, though, was in the position that we are naturally when I was coaching, I pretty much had next to no contact in my training sessions. Yep. And I think that's just got to be implemented with culture. And we go back to that word all the time. And you've also got Dean Hefferman trying to yes. develop a ball as well for football, soccer, whatever code you want to call it. Yes. So if someone like Dean Hefferman can break through and he's at the professional level and I believe he's still at Western Sydney Wanderers, I think that's probably what it's going to take. So Pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. It's also just trying to change the culture at, at club levels. That's the sort of the next battleground is to try yeah. and get your local coaches who, you know, have – probably just done things their way for decades and mm-hmm. players who want to emulate their heroes in the AFL or NRL or, or A-League or whoever. Um, and, and you know, what we do still see is that players are going, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm okay. Um, oh, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, look, the symptoms cleared yesterday on Sunday, so I'm, I'm okay to come back to training. You know, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be seen as weak. You know, I don't want to let my teammates down. I want, I want to play. I don't want to be not selected. I think that's where the Australian Institute of Sport coming out with their recommendations as well. I, yeah. I've heard, the bo- again, both sides of that, but I actually like really applaud that because they're in between a rock and a hard place mm. and they've come out with the recommendations and it, it's just that recommendation. They're yeah. not enforcing them. It, um, the WA football coach jumped on yesterday that to uh, recommend it and implement it as well. And they, I was reading, they want like a concussion spotter for each side. Yeah. More, and they described it like a fire warden. Yep. And parents are already saying, well, if number seven Mickey's their best player, we think he's got a concussion. We want yeah. him off. And the arguments are just circular. Oh um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So look, at the end of the day, they. They play with club referees at times, so they're still going to play. And to be honest, you've got to put that out of the way and it's yes. what's best for the kid, what's best for the player. Mm-hmm. Their health and yep. safety is the best aspect. And the AIS is great. Yes. And it leads into the next point. I believe the, re- the reason why it's a recommendation is the fact that if you start telling people you got to sit out 21 days, then you're going to start getting under-reporting, whereas if you leave the ambiguity saying, hey, this is a recommendation, they're more likely to take it serious because they're not being told. Look, I hope so. The AIS also you know, came out was because they're probably potentially preempting the federal parliamentary inquiry that we had last year yep. You know, where, where they were uh, recommending longer periods to reflect this, what happened in, in the UK parliamentary inquiry, for example, mm. who've you know, uh, mandated 21 days recovery. So I think they're, they're kind of almost just preempting what might eventually become law. And At least they all line up now, which is a good thing. You're starting to get a little bit of continuity yes. between codes and sports in the UK, yeah. Australia, New Zealand. Yes. So I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, and that's something that we've, you know, we've argued for quite some time is that, well, why, why is a concussion in football different to one in soccer? Or, hmm. or even, even you know, some of us have even tried to uh, question why sport-related concussion seems to be different to a concussion. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And that, that goes right back to, you know, the 1990s. 
you look at coaches pushing through that. I think yeah. it's like you look at Jose Mourinho in the Premier League with yes. um, Chelsea and the Doctor, yeah. and if you go back to Andre Villas Boas yeah. with Hugo Lloris saying, "No, right. you stay out there. If we don't know you got a concussion, we don't yes. know you got a concussion." So That's right. Talking about that and what you touched on earlier with concussions, is there any difference between male and female in terms of concussion or in differences in sexes? Because yeah. I think that's one very clouded area, <laughs> uh, especially with the research that's just come out with yeah. a huge study there. Um, they used to believe that there was a difference, but then that, is that attributed to women's sport has only been professional in the last five to ten years, so there hasn't been a big enough sample size, so we're extrapolating off a very small amount of data? Pretty much. Or... Yeah, the, the, the data, I, from what I'm seeing at the moment, is still really noisy, mm-hmm. so it's very difficult to... You know, really make some some strong inferences that there may be <clears throat> uh, sex differences. I mean, the um, the study from uh, Jacqueline was it Jacqueline? Because uh, I can't pronounce the surname. Yeah, Kafe- uh, yeah, um, yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, I hope she's Cassidy. not listening. <laughs> um, well, correct. I'll but, put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, you know, was was a, a, you know nice study to to show that there probably isn't sex differences there are maybe some subtle differences in that trajectory but mm-hmm. overall the, the recovery is sort of you know in the timeline about the same anyway quite a bit sort of generated in the media that mm-hmm. oh you know women get worse symptoms they take longer to recover um you know worse outcomes almost in a in a veiled sexist um yeah. tone um and look i think we will get to some potentially some concussion assessment differences. There may mm-hmm. be, I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, a, a men's and a women's um, protocols. I don't know. Obviously, yeah. you know, we should have one for children, adolescents, and adults. Um, that's kind of been lost in in the in a, in the last few years. Um, I, we've done some we've done some research too, which I think kind of reflects a little bit about what the, this new study had shown, even though they'd done. Clinical testing, they they were also, you know, showing reports of, of uh, symptom severity and number of symptoms as they recovered. And you know, we've done a, a number of studies now where we looked at attitudes and reporting attitudes and behaviours. Um, you know, the first one we did was back in 20, uh, 2015, which we published in twenty seventeen, and we we called it um, "Do as I say" because it was really interesting to see that overall, you know, that the students that we surveyed. Uh, those exercise sports science students uh, played sport at, at all all levels, but they, you know the the inclusion criteria is that they had to play contact sport, um, and uh, you know we they were very much even back in twenty fifteen. Oh, you know you shouldn't play with a concussion. You shouldn't do this. Shouldn't do that. And then you drill into the questions, and you know if you if you no one had picked up you you know the question was like you know if you had not been suspected of concussion would you play on oh absolutely would you try and return to training as quickly as possible and, and not do full react yes <laughs> you know that sort of stuff you know it was really strong but we also saw differences between men and women um and we saw that men were more likely to have the negative attitudes of hiding a concussion returning to training earlier than their full rehab you know women were oh yes i would i would be more honest with my symptoms I will report my symptoms more honestly. I would complete full rehab before returning. And we repeated the the, uh, the study in uh, 2019, so about four years oh, later okay. in a different yep. cohort, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And we saw some little change in attitudes, that, but the gap was still there. The gap was closing. Yeah. The guys were starting to be more honest and or suggesting that they would be more honest. But there was still a bit of a gap, a, a, a sex difference in the attitude. So, you know, every time I get called up for a comment around women's concussions and I'm like, yeah, hang on a moment. We may be seeing something. We don't know. But guys, you know, you've got to be more honest with your with your you can't downplay this. You know, you have to be honest that that with your concussions and and not just fob it off or or scared that you're going to be seen as weak. So, you know, that that's the moral of the story right now is that we need to have more honest reporting. And better ways yeah. to detect it as well. Honest reporting and <clears throat> female athletes reporting, I think that's that's a big thing, whereas males still yes. have this whole macho mancha. And yeah. 
also comes down to the fact that you can't see a concussion. Yeah. So, therefore, I'm fine. I'm not injured. Like, you tear a mm-hmm. hamstring, do an ACL, mm-hmm. you're pretty much done. You can't move unless yeah. you Paul Kelly trying to smack your kneecap back in the mid-90s. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't work. And, yeah, <laughs> just created a lot more pain. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's the hard thing, as you said, again, is yep. the difference. And one thing that always got me was when I describe a concussion, I kind of go off onto the route of it's like a neurometabolic cascade and go mm. through the action potentials and it's a little bit deep and some people go yeah. to sleep on it, but yeah. I think it's all needed to be known. And the yeah. only thing that might affect women, the men, is the menstrual cycle, like with ACL injuries. Yeah. However, you can't exactly line them up to who's going through that at the moment, who's not going through it, and then, you know, whack-a-mole as you yeah. go. Yeah, and that's, that's actually something that we're trying to address with um, a current study I'm doing with a colleague, um, Dr. Anthea Clark, who is very interested to see if, if concussion, physiological concussion recovery is, I guess, influenced by menstrual cycle. This type of research is not easy to do. Oh, <laughs> um, it's extremely hard. Yeah, yeah. We're, you know, I, uh, I've only, I've just finished collecting data on a, on a study looking at re- return, you know, recovery times using my technique of TMS. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's taken nearly eight or nine years to replicate the study back in 2014. 15 um, wow. because clubs are just not that um, keen on being involved in scientific research. Do you believe that's from a point of view is that they may be shown in a bad light for things that they have mm. or haven't done in the past uh, or they should or they shouldn't known or is it a more of like clubs just don't want to participate, we've got other things to do because I believe it's, yeah, it's a bit of an inconvenience. Seaford? Is it Seaford that you've been Seaford, with? Seaford, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, so we we just finished uh, had finished collecting data. I'm writing that study up now. Yeah, a lot of it is inconvenience, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Um, a lot of them don't tend to be too worried about you know being seen, you know, bad management or anything like that. Because yep. as part as as doing research, you know, you, you know, we're we're clearly outlining that we're we're doing observational research mm. in terms of the fact that we're not going to tell you. What you can and can't do with your players, mm. you know. All we all we ask is that we can get your players and 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 collect the data and and you know even if you don't want to, if you don't even wanna, don't want to know the results, we won't give them to you, you know. So then there, there's no opportunity for you to feel like obligated to change anything. But a lot of it is just more inconvenience. And and you know, in 2015 when I did this sort of initial study um, in the Hampton Rovers who play in the VAFA, the Victorian Amateur Football League, but from former, sorry. Football Association, um, you know, we, we got probably five of the eight concussions that we collected over the over the season in the first three weeks, two to three weeks. Wow. It was just like, oh, my God, we're going to be busy here. And then for the next sort of more 12 weeks or so, nothing, absolutely nothing. And it was just like, what's going on here? So I got talking to the, the, the footballer student, you know, I said, oh, do you mind just, you know, doing a bit of intel for us because he was sort of, you know, in part of that club and helped facilitate us getting the, the and he said, yeah, no worries. <laughs> we came back. <laughs> they said, uh, he said, um, yeah, look, they, they didn't want to come in for testing because it's going to eat into their drinking time. So <laughs> they didn't want to come in on Tuesday because they were, they, they wanted to go to the pub because they didn't have to train yep. the night. They're wanting to go and have a few drinks at the yeah. pub, and and coming in for half an hour was going to eat into their their beer time. And I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Yeah, oh, <laughs> and, man. They're, and they're like, "He's like, yeah, maybe we might need to go down and have a chat." So twelve weeks later, I go down, you know, go down and say, yeah. "Look, just want to give everyone a bit of a feedback here where we're at at the moment. This is what I'm seeing. This is what we're we're seeing something here. If you can help us, we can help you." And yeah. they're like. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. And so yeah. in the last sort of four, you know, three to four weeks, we've got another three concussions. And so we scrambled to, you know, we sort of crawled to about eight concussions overall. And, uh, you know, they were like, oh, no, we didn't realize, you know, oh, we could have got so many more, blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> a number of the players. Alcohol fix a concussion. Oh, I know. It's just it you know, won't for those people listening. Yeah, alcohol does right. not disclaimer. fix concussion. It was being sarcastic. Yeah. Okay, disclaimer there. <laughs> disclaimer. Um, 
And so it was quite interesting because after that sort of rev up talk I gave to them, we f- we still finished the study and, and you know I was able to get it published somehow. But you know we, it was yeah. and that was kind of the you know I'm not trying to sort of blow my own trumpet here, but that was kind of the initial discussion for why we need longer recovery times because yeah. what we were finding was that the players were recovering symptom wise and and cognitive testing within five days, but after you know twelve days or so with the brain stimulation testing I was doing, yeah. we weren't seeing full recovery. And I was getting really worried about that. That's an aside. Um, one of the, the outcomes of this was that the following year, even though we'd finished the study, the, the, some of the players were ringing me up and saying, look, I know you got my baseline and I know it's last year, but you know, I think I, I got a concussion, but I'm not sure. Do you reckon I should come back next week? Can you test me just to see where I'm at? Oh, wow. And so this is a whole change in attitude. Um, and they even, start buying in. Yeah, that's right. When they start to see physiological, hard scientific data mm. that for them went, ah, oh, I can't fake a waveform the way that I can fake my 10-word test. Mm. Um, yep. So, you know, it was it was really good. And, and even, you know, probably, oh, it was, was it 20, yeah, probably about a year ago or 18 months ago, you know, I've got a couple of ex-players um, from the same club who's since retired and just can you test me? I just um, want to make sure that I'm okay. And it was just like, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, so it seemed to have a, a real sort of positive effect that these players were, were now starting to think about their brain health. So with the TMS mm. that you do, um, don't mean to throw out a hair in here, but you you open about it that you did testing with the AFL and went through there yep. with the reporting and the yeah. study and one thing led to another and you <clears> won't <throat> be able to complete it, which were outside of factors of your control. Yes. What what exactly are you looking for there and what other sensory motor information are you marrying that up with? Oh, okay. So just from a general perspective. Yeah, from a yeah, gen- general yeah. perspective because so, I just remember you saying that you yeah. were – just by itself, it yes. was it's hard, and you do other things that go That's alongside right. that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this like at the start of the, of the conversation we've had, you know, this is a technique that I was taught on, and I've you know been one of these sort of nerdy people that just gets so excited over a waveform, and there is a, <laughs> a, a kind of a group of us around the world that just seem to, you know, can't get enough of this waveform, mm. as I call it. Um, but essentially, what it is is. The technical term is, is evoked potential. So yep. an action potential is obviously, you know, when you have a, a, a nerve cell firing and it fires the other nerve cell and, and you know, that, that creates an action potential in the nerve that then fires the next one. And, you know, that helps us, as I say to people, helps us to, you know, make a movement, think a thought, feel a feeling. You know, it's, it's these action potentials. But they're internally generated in our, in our nervous system. Whereas what I do is what we call evoked potential. So I, using this technique, can artificially evoke a action potential in your brain. And I can generate that evoked potential and have a look at the characteristics of that waveform and compare it to, you know, control participants or in some cases we can do what we call repeated measures like we did with Hampton Rovers and Seaford where we can get some baseline data and we can look at what happens after a concussion because we've got the intervention. You know, it, it's useful in itself like that, but the waveform itself really doesn't tell us anything. I can I can stimulate your brain and get an evoked response on its own and it doesn't really tell me anything because it needs to be con- what I call contextualized. So I need to know some of your history. I need to look at what the intervention is, whether it's a concussion or whether it's, you know, a history of concussions that may be influencing the characteristics of that waveform compared to a, a, a control. I try to also look at, I guess, from a holistic perspective, not just the descending pathways, but also what we call the ascending pathways. So I use a technique for known as sensory motor testing. So we've got this... Um, device um, that a co- a neuro- another neurophysiologist colleague of mine in North Carolina developed called uh, cortical metrics. It calls it the brain gauge and it sends through subtle vibration measures through the fingertips and you've got to be able to, to subtly discern the differences but that requires a lot of brain power and different parts of the brain interpreting that information. Is that like two-point discrimination? 
Yes, it's yeah. a sort yep. of a, a more, um, I guess, an advanced version advanced, of Advanced, yeah, than yeah. two little paper clips. That's right. <laughs> that's, yeah, yep. Absolutely, yes, that's right. Yep. A lot of people don't realise that a lot of the, the functions that we do on a day-to-day basis takes a hell of a lot of brain power and brain resources. And even just us talking to each other, mm-hmm. we take that for granted. But yeah. until you have a brain injury, you don't realise how much of your brain needs to be working in order for us to even just converse. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's language and there's perception and understanding what that means and there's, you know, visual auditory. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff. So the idea is that we're trying to to marry up some of the stuff that I do with the evoke potentials um, with the um, sensory motor testing um, because there is some elements of um, physiology underpinning both, you know, the, yeah. the excitatory transmitters or molecules and the inhibitory molecules, you know, what's that balance and, and is that affected after a concussion mm. or for, you know, those who've had 10,000 subconcussive impacts, you know, what, what's the effect? You know, as I, as I tell people, I, I'm looking at it when I stimulate your brain at that time of stimulation, so the technical term is temporal, it gives us some information that um, an image or a spatial image like an MRI doesn't. And yep. so it, it's looking at the same thing from a different perspective. Um, you know, again, it sounds a bit nerdy, but you can look at a star with a telescope or you can send through radio waves and see a whole lot more. And so yep. I'm trying to see the brain from a different perspective. And yep. That's what puts me on a, on a, I guess, a different platform to most people in this space because they don't understand what I do. What I've gathered, have you got a like a, a documentary coming out or on that? Is just this delve deeper into that if like audience and people want to know exactly on that again? Does that yeah. delve a bit more into that and cover that? Yeah, cover, it covers you know the whole idea. It's it's called Dangerous yeah. Games. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a bit of a fly on the wall, um, looking at a club that is you know trying to do the right thing around concussions because again they've had a number of players happen to retire early and that's you know that that's really eaten up the the president who you know he's just the most loveliest bloke around and and gets quite emotional about the fact that he doesn't want anyone to to get hurt but you know loves the sport to probably more than anything um yeah. and and trying just to deal with address this issue scientifically but also you know, socially and culturally as well. Yeah. You know, it, it's based around, well, this is a typical community club because we see so much at the AFL level or the NRL level. We don't really see what happens, you know, in everyday sport. And that's the kind of the, the idea of it. I think it gets lost. Poor mum, dad, weekend warrior, yeah. work, school, everything. <clears throat> I think that's great. If you, Is it okay to disclose the date when that's coming out? Is it in um, post-production? No, I think we're actually going to go into a second year of filming. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. So I know yes. Kobe Stevens has one coming yes. out this year, the Sundance Film Festival right. that he was planned on dropping. So yes. hopefully between the two of you, it gives a bit more of an insight, one, from a professional level of what yes. he's going through, and two, that can relate to 99% of people that yes. are in that everyday situation. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Because two things. One is that everyone sort of talks about the fact that, you know, well, the AFL have all the – resources they have at all the medical teams they have all the allied health teams they have mm. everything done for them um you know we can't do that and so we won't yeah. you know and you're like well look <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can certainly do better and that's that's and, what we need to do i think and that that's kind of the space where i want to come in is yes. you got people doing amazing work in the field like yourself as a researcher providing all the information and then you got the resources at the top clubs, but there's no one in the middle for the everyday person. You yeah. kind of want to be the connect. And it does get a little bit hard when only a GP can diagnose a concussion. Yes. But then if you look at it, every concussion has a whiplash-associated disorder or injury, mm. which can mimic that. Mm. But then not every whiplash has a concussion. That's right. People think they have a concussion and there's yes. another rabbit hole. So yep. Before we finish up, I just want to ask, your work at the Brain Bank and the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Yes. If you just want to let everyone know what you do there and yeah. how we as listeners, individuals and people can actually help out there. Yeah. I know that you can 
donate your brain and I've got all the paperwork that just arrived to fill out to send back to over, oh, over east so yeah, that's, that's all arrived i'm filling that one out oh good for transparency to the listeners yeah um yeah if you just give a rundown mm. how we can help and what yep. everything is about there yeah so uh I'm, I'm part of the australian sports brain bank which started in 2018 um i'm kind of like the victorian liaison for the brain bank because it's like lo- it's it's located at the royal prince alfred hospital in sydney it's run by Michael Buckland, who's a neuropathologist. He's one of the only neuropathologists in Australia, uh, oh, which wow. makes him in a very sort of very strong position to be able to look at CTE as opposed to just a more general forensic pathologist who may not have that specialist training in looking at dementias and brain diseases and things like that. So the um, the brain brain bank, uh, you know, we've been going now for just on six years. We were the I guess the first to disclose CTE. In Australia, there was a, a case uh, in 2014 that got sent to the brain bank, Brian Tizzy Taylor. Um, so he's technically the first Australian that was diagnosed with CTE, but we diagnosed the first CTE case in Australia in 2018, which was uh, two cases uh, yeah, actually we in uh, rugby league. And then in 2020, we presented the first case of CTE in a former Australian rules football player, Polly Farmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that was really quite a, a surreal experience because, um, you know, having grown up in Perth, knowing Polly Farmer, such a huge name, the freeway's named after him, um, you oh, know. And I was in Tom Price when that broke. Pardon? I was in Tom Price. Oh, okay, um, right. And went up there with the Indigenous community, yes. treat him for work and yes. it filtered through there before yeah. even the news and it was just you could hear a pin drop. They were absolutely devastated. Yeah, that's right. So for me, it was really quite a surreal experience because I was lead author on that paper knowing he it was kind of like a, a bit of a hero sort of thing in terms of, mm. of football um, in the golden age of, of you know, of footy and, and particularly for West Australians playing in the VFL yeah. and things like that. So that was, that was you know, um, amazing. And then uh, since then, you know, we've, we've published the first case of a female CTE in the world, quite an achievement for, for a, a brain bank that doesn't run on any funding. You know, we, we get costs sort of supported through the RPA but all our work, Michael's work, my work, Kath Suter, who's our scientific officer, um, Andrew Affleck, who's our pathology scientist as well, you know, we do all this work for nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And we've now just about, we, we've we've published our first paper on the first 21 brains. We're almost up to 100 brains now. We're going to write that up soon. You know, we, we've done a, a huge amount of work um, and people are now understanding that, you know, this, this work's important. And in parallel to that, uh, to help try and raise some funds, yeah, we've uh, we've started up the Concussion Legacy Foundation Australia in the last year, um, mm-hmm. and that's part of the Concussion Legacy Foundation that has branches in America, Canada, UK, here in Australia, and it's run by Chris Nowinski, who's got yeah. a huge history in this in this area. And so, you know, we've we've I guess uh, you know raising funds. Increasing awareness, we have uh, people all over Australia now on committees um, helping out to try and uh, do what they can to raise awareness around around concussion in particular, but also CTE. Both uh, charity organisations and uh, certainly would help uh, people like myself to be able to continue the work. Um, as I said, we're, we're doing this not funded right now. So any any sort of help if anyone wants to raise funds by doing a marathon or a cycle from Perth to Albany or, yep. you know, anything like that, we ask that if you're wanting to raise funds, have a think about us um, because, uh, yeah, we, we we are desperately sort of trying to get people to understand that, as I said before earlier, CT is not a mental health condition um, and, and we need some specialist people in this area to understand what CT is. Uh, again, I'll put the links in the show notes to Concussion Legacy and the Brain Bank and mm. they do have some... They've got a seminar in August, I believe. Dates are to to be formalised and come on the website. They've also got the cycling and the walk in South Australia, and another one up there in Sydney, I believe. So yeah, yeah they're places that you can yeah. have a, have a look, and I'll put that in the show notes. And where can people find yourself, your social media channels, <laughs> and yes, yeah. So if you if you want to uh, see me rant, <laughs> um, my, the handle for um, Twitter or X. And Instagram is the same. It's mm-hmm. Alan at sorry, 
at Alan Pierce PhD. And so, yeah, Twitter, I tend to be more around, um, you know, sort of making commentary. Um, if you want to see what I do in the lab, that's where I, you know, I post pictures of, of my dungeon lab, as I call it, um, on, on Instagram. So, um, yeah, they're the, they're the two. Professor Pierce, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for coming on. You're welcome. And call me Al. <laughs> Thanks, Al. <laughs> and that concludes today's episode. Even though I'm a registered chiropractor, all the information provided today is based off my interpretation of the research and is of my opinion and my opinion only. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice of your doctors or physician. If you believe you are suffering from something similar or the injuries discussed in today's episode, please contact your medical practitioner. I am your host, Dr. Reese Granger. Thank you for listening. <laughs>